Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Derek Dumbeck. Uh, Derek is a successful investor. He has been surfing up and down the market since 2003. Uh, Derek's expertise ranged from creative deal structuring, wholesaling, flipping, the full gamut of uh, investing in real estate investment. He has been involved in thousands of transactions in his career. Uh, and what sets him apart is really is his love of people and trying to make them successful. Uh, Derek Co owns a private lending company called Best REI Funding, uh, a real estate acquisition company, and hosts three national mastermind groups called REI Circle of Trust. Um, they also run, run an annual advanced strategies and networking event for real estate investors called Generations of Wealth Voyage. Uh, so, the, the, you know, Derek, welcome to the show. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know if I had to say some more. How yeah, are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's been a few months. And uh, last time we had, a, we had a really good conversation about creative deal structuring, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about kind of like that, the, the, the deal structuring. Uh, I get a lot of questions. I mean, you can get started right away about kind of like you know, is this a is this a good time to buy? Like the interest rates are, you know, higher than they used to be. They're lower than they were a few months ago, but they are they're still higher than they were like uh, in two thousand and twenty one. Um, so, what what's your feel about the the economy? Is it still a good time to invest? And then, um, how do you deal? And then we can talk about kind of like how do you deal with these higher interest rates? How do you structure your deal differently, maybe to take advantage of some opportunities out there? Yeah, I, I think there's always opportunity in any market. And if the more education you have, the more experience you have, uh, we see things differently than somebody that that maybe has only bought a handful of properties. Yeah. Interest rates don't bother me. I, I've been looking forward to the, the increasing interest rates for quite some time in the regard of or you know turning this into a buyer's market instead of a seller's market. That really bodes well for us if we want to hold property longer term. I've never really been somebody that wanted to buy based on appreciation only. I mean, I, I want cash flow. The appreciation is the bonus. Yeah. And so we touched on it last time I was on your show, buying like properties with creative structures and seller financing and purchasing subject to, yeah. you know, and, and I still, still believe that those opportunities are, are only increasing. And from the lending side, um, with our lending company, because we're short-term, hard money, private lenders, we since I've been on your your show before, we've certainly seen a shift. Um, our borrowers are starting to have more challenges selling. They're taking longer to get refinanced. We've got we have a very low default rate, regardless. Um, but we've had a few more defaults in the last three four months. Oh, that really? we're working through and, and most of them um a couple of margins borrowers that you know they they screwed up and now they're just you know they're they're hiding yeah. those are are not the ones that we enjoy we have to turn those over to the attorney take them back it is what it is yeah. but the other ones are are investors that you know they really want to do the deal um even when we did the loan six seven eight months ago they were probably pushing their offers a little higher than they should have, which 
we only lend to a certain threshold, but that means they have to bring more cash to the table. And we caution all of our borrowers as, as we're underwriting the loans, don't use comps that are from six months ago. I mean, I don't want to use comps that are more than three months old at this point. Yeah. Um, don't range out so far from the subject property. You know, mm-hmm. I get people that bring in these, these CMAs from a realtor and they're pulling comps from two, three miles away in uh, a city like Milwaukee. Yeah. Well, Milwaukee, you can go two blocks and it's a different neighborhood. Yeah. And it could be a very bad neighborhood. And three miles away, you're outside of Milwaukee now. <laughs> right. Or, or a completely different school district. Or, of course, there's so many different nuances. Right. And, and that's the, the shift that I'm seeing, Eric. Um, wholesalers are starting to starve. Uh, a lot of wholesalers built up a very um, a, a large overhead in marketing costs, a large overhead in acquisition people, they're starting to lay off, um, cut back. Mm -hmm. And these are all signs of opportunity for those that are looking for it. Yeah, that's what I I found also. I mean, I have a wholesaling company too. And yeah, things have really slowed down. Uh, You know, obviously we were selling a lot of these properties to, uh, you know, institutional investors. Many of them just say, we're not buying anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're seeing a little bit of, uh, you know, individual investors that are that picked up a little bit, but not enough to replace like uh, institutional investors that were making the bulk of the, of the deals. But um, so I think, I, I still think that there are great opportunities out there. I mean, when we're looking at, um, um, you know, you're talking about kind of like the, trying to determine the after repair value of the value of the property before buying and stuff like that. Also, because there's less transactions, there's less real estate transactions. Uh, what happened is that, you know, a neighborhood where you were able to find comps easily within the last six months, all of a sudden it's a little bit, it's a little bit drier. There's not as many transactions in that particular neighborhood and then you have to kind of extend your range a little bit in terms of dates and uh, all of that. Not, I try to stay with kind of like within the neighborhood, but maybe extend, you know, instead of six months, it's nine months uh, to find to find some comps that are, that kind of make sense. What do you think about that? We, we have to do that when there's not enough data and we have no choice. But then we, we kind of put a, a, a spreadsheet together comparing what was the interest rate at the time, a 30-year fixed interest rate, when that comp that's seven, eight, nine months old compared to what it is today. And we okay. try and index that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because most people buy on monthly payment, not necessarily on the price of the house. We we yeah. know that's just the way Americans are. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if it's sold for $250,000 April 1st and the interest rates were three and a half and now they're seven, we have to factor that in. It's yeah. not going to sell for as much money. Yeah. Um, and our borrowers don't want to hear that. You yeah. know, when we come back out of underwriting and say, well, this is what I feel it's going to be worth. And we're still going to fund the deal, but you may have to bring another 10, 20, $30,000 to the closing table mm-hmm. if you want to do the deal. Yeah. And and so, uh, yes, you're right. We, we do have to use the data that's available and, and alter it. And that does come with experience. Yeah. You know? And I think that kind of makes sense to kind of adjust the uh, kind of like the interest rate 
based on the interest rate that it was like nine months ago to kind of like figuring out like adjusting the value based on that i think that kind of uh that makes sense because people are buying based on you know how much they can afford to pay every month um but do you some of the loans that you're doing for the, the hard money loans are you doing that for people that are flipping to retail investors or are you doing these loans for people that are flipping to uh not retail investors are you are you flipping them are you lending for investors who are flipping to the retail people uh for owner occupied or for people that are flipping for rentals primarily there's two buckets there the people that are flipping doing a, a full-blown rehab are going to sell to an end user that's going to live in the home yeah yeah the other loans are landlords that are going to do still a rehab but obviously not as as high quality of materials and they're going to get a tenant in there get it seasoned for six months and refinance it with a long-term bank yeah and and those people are the ones that we're having more default challenges with because again they bought these properties when interest rates were three and a half and they didn't project interest rates going to seven or eight when it was time for them to refinance so now they have properties that don't cash flow yeah. which is a, a rookie mistake Yeah, because right. obviously interest rates are never going to stay s- static yeah. for a long period of time and they can't get 30-year fixed rates. They got to use commercial type loans with balloons. So um, for those of us that have been in the industry for many cycles and, and have seen different markets, this is just normal. But people that have started in the last five years um, that have honestly never seen a challenging time to sell a property they're freaking out yeah 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 i mean I, yeah we we had to change our uh, because we do turnkey flips like turnkey rental flips so uh yeah i mean we had to change our criteria around like jan february of last year our acquisition criteria and we were trying to project kind of like when we sell that property so we're going to buy this property today we're going to uh, do the renovation, blah, blah, blah. It's going to take six months for us to sell that property. What will, we were trying to project, what will be the interest rate at the time for our investors? You know, what kind of loan they're going to get to make sure that it's still cash flowed and it still had a good return. So we're trying to do that and adjust that in advance. And that, that's really kind of like squeezed our the number of houses that were uh that made the criteria that we acquired at that time. Yeah. And that's exactly what we have to do as the lender. Yeah. Same thing. And, and we're trying to project something that the, our borrower does not want to hear, you know, they don't, they just want to live in, you know, unicorn and rainbow land and think everything's going to be perfect all the time. It's just not the reality. Um, We have one right now that he's selling the property at a, and he owes us $38,000 in excess of what the property selling for. Oh, wow. And he thinks that, you know, it's okay that we're just going to eat that. And we're not going to eat that. We're not yeah. doing a short sale. This yeah. is, you know, that has to be made up. <laughs> so, um, so there, there's some challenge. But again, I, I would say because we do a lot of our underwriting based on our experience and because we're still buying and selling, our default rate is still 1%. I mean, the national yeah. uh, average for hard money lenders is a 25% default rate. We're yeah. at 1%. Yeah. That's that's okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Do you see a big, um, 
So, so that's on the the investor side. People that are doing like rentals and they're doing like kind of like burr and try to do refinancing on the other end. Uh, do you see? Uh, so you you seem to. It sounds like these investors have a little bit more challenging time than people that are flipping for the end users for the retail the retail side. Um, so why do you think that is? Um, I think it's inexperience. I think they're self-employed, so it's harder for them to get loans. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, if somebody's flipping to to sell to an end buyer, there's a larger pool, yeah. right? Like there's a hundred buyers that might want that house. This landlord may only have one or two options to get financed. Yeah, maybe three options, and if those don't work out. Now their only backup plan is to sell the house. And if they did a, a half-ass rehab because they were just going to put tenants in it, yeah. now it's not going to sell for what they thought it would. Yeah. You know, it's just all these um hopes and dreams, right? Yeah. So that's our job as a as a lender is to to underwrite and look at all of the the possible scenarios of what can yeah. go wrong and and we have to educate our borrowers every step of the way. Yeah. So what are some of the, I mean, you're a specialist in uh, creative uh, financing strategies and I would say like acquisition strategies. So what are some of these, uh, the strategies that people can use right now that want to, uh, they want to acquire properties to invest or flip. Um, so, you know, can you give us some, some hints as to uh, what's the best, the best strategy right now? I really like options. I think they're significantly underused. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly can be used in conjunction with a lease, but just using options, for example, going to Florida, hurricane hit, right? Yeah. And there's a, a whole lot of people that have tarped roofs or roofs, depending on what part of the country you're from. <laughs> I, I get into this discussion with a friend of mine all the time. Um, but they they can't afford to get their, their roof fixed. Yeah. And so it's $20,000, let's say. Yeah. You approach them, knock on their door, offer to pay for the, the new shingles, um, which you pay directly to the contractor. But in uh, exchange for that, you now have an option to purchase their house for the next insert number of years that you agree to, right? The next 10 years, next 20 years at a purchase price that you agree to right now. And it's a great way to build a future portfolio, especially using like a retirement account. You mm-hmm. could have a small IRA that has $20,000 in it. Yeah. We'll get an option on a property. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to hold that option for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and be the one that actually exercises it. You can turn around and sell that option the day after the ink is dry. Yeah. Right. How do you secure that option though? Like you, you can't put the, can you put a lien on the property or anything like that? If they already have a mortgage, often the, the first lien position doesn't allow a second lien position. So how, how would you secure that to make sure that you get at least your money out? If uh, Yes. So, so most people just record the option on public record. Um, I am not a fan of that. Yeah. And I'll explain why. But I want to secure it actually using a mortgage or a deed of trust, depending on your state. Okay. Um, almost nobody does it this way. And I, you know, one of my good friends is the one that taught me how to do this. 
um, here, there's the methodology is twofold. First one is if you only record the option, uh, regardless of the first position, if they want you to or not, I mean, that's really your risk. You are not in first position. Yeah. Uh, always get a title search done before you hand over any money to find yeah. out exactly what position you're going to be in. Yeah. Um, but if I just record the option, options have been missed. It has happened. You know, they go and sell the house to somebody else. Yeah. And or they refinance the house and in excess of what your purchase price is. Right. And that option could get missed in a title search. And your only recourse is then file a lawsuit. Yeah. So let, let's play this out. If you gave me an option to purchase your house, Eric, and yeah. then you decide to sell it to somebody else for more money yeah. and it actually gets closed. Yeah. My recourse, I can go against your title insurance. And so there's an insurance claim slash lawsuit. Yeah. I can take you to court, but in no circumstances am I ever going to be able to get the, the sale of that property reversed. Yeah. Whoever yeah. you sold it to is a neutral third party who didn't know. And a judge is never going to say, okay, we're taking it back away from those people yeah. and you have to sell it to Derek. Yeah. So I'm going to end up likely getting a money judgment against you. Mm-hmm. Well, we all know that having a judgment doesn't mean you get paid. Yeah, doesn't give you the money. <laughs> right. So whether it got missed or or however it actually happened, once that property actually changes, deed transfers, I'm pretty screwed on if getting the property. Okay. Now, if I have you agree to and and secure the option using a mortgage. Mm-hmm that gets recorded instead of the option. Yeah. Mortgages almost never get missed, but yeah. even if it did, now I can reverse that sale because I have the right to foreclose. Yeah. And now you're still going to get sued, but you're going to get sued by the person you the other person you sold it to in this example. Yeah. Right? I'm just going to foreclose, take the property away and and they're going to get evicted and then they're going to come after you. Mm-hmm. I can still go after title insurance too. Yeah. So the mortgage gives me a lot more teeth. The other reason I like the mortgage versus just recording the option, if I just record the option and sue you and we end up in court, we're arguing over contract law. Yeah. And there's gray areas in contract law. And the judge or magistrate can have their opinion as to what the intention was of our contract. Mm-hmm. They could say, well, I don't think Eric really understood what he was signing. Therefore, yeah. we're going to unwind this. Yeah. If you sign a mortgage collateralizing that option, mm-hmm. that's not gray area. It's black and white. Yeah. And it would be really tough for, for you and a judge to unwind that and the intent of that. Yeah. Right. So to me, it's way more powerful. Yeah. And. Yeah. You know, let's just say you didn't sell to somebody else, but but a year or two goes by and you're refusing to honor my option to purchase your property mm-hmm. and you don't want to sell to me. You want to keep living there. Yeah. I have the mortgage. I do have a right to foreclose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the other thing, too, is that the uh, the the if you have another mor- a mortgage, uh, we also prevent them from refinancing. Right. Correct. Absolutely. And so this has happened to me where I get a random phone call from a title company or a lender saying, 
Um, we're just checking what the payoff is on your mortgage. Yeah. Because they don't know. Typically, I put the dollar amount of my purchase price on the actual recorded mortgage, but that's not the payoff. Yeah. So they have to contact us for a payoff. Yeah. And that's a new negotiation time, right? Because, yeah. well, what are you doing? Are you trying to sell to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Or you're going to pay me to go away. Mm-hmm. Or are you trying to refinance? Yeah. Okay. But again, I can't let you refinance in excess of what I'm going to purchase it for. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually was, I was on a podcast a few months ago that was run by a real estate attorney. And we had this same conversation. She had never heard of doing it this way. Yeah. She actually didn't even think it was a great idea until we talked it through yeah. for a while. Um, and so myself with my, my PhD, my public high school diploma educated <laughs> that real estate attorney, you know, <laughs> but it's just experience. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Uh, so the experience is, is very, very key. Uh, the other thing too that, uh, yeah, and I think that the reason why I think a lot of people don't do this is that you kind of think that, well, if they already have a mortgage on it, uh, as soon as you're going to try to put a second mortgage on it is going to trigger the first one. And then that's going to be, you know, you're going to, you're going to call the loan or something like that. Right. Well, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of lenders, every lender, let's just say every lender has a due on sale clause. Yeah. In in most mortgages, um, I shouldn't say most, a, a, a percentage of mortgages do have language in it that says they do not want any junior liens behind them. Yeah. Which this option would be a junior lien and they could, they could call the loan due. Mm-hmm. The odds of that I would say are extremely slim. Yeah. But if they did, okay, once you have a mortgage in place, there's a thing called lender courtesy. So if I'm willing to foreclose in the second position and make the first position whole, either by paying them out or by continuing to make the payments, Mm -hmm. most lenders will allow that. So I could go as just a civilian and ask the lender to allow me to buy the property subject to that, that loan. And they would say, nope, we're going to call the loan due. Yeah. But if I come in as a mortgage holder, as a lender, which is how they're going to view me and say, I have to foreclose against this property. Um, will you work with me and allow me to continue making the payments to you? And most of the time they will say, yes, Yeah. it's the same scenario. No. A little bit different documentation. That's yeah. all it is. Okay. So what do you think, uh, so, so how do, if somebody, one is interested in doing something like that or exploring that, what is the uh, the best, where do they get that information? Like, where do they know exactly, do they have to get then a, a real estate lawyer to really help them out and, and convince them that uh, they've watched this video, then they know that this is how it should be done and all that kind of stuff? How do you do that? Well, like anything, it's it's who you know. It's where you get your education from. Um, there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube, but there's a lot of really bad stuff on YouTube. So you just got to beware uh, yeah. when you're getting something for free. That doesn't necessarily always mean it's the best legal advice. You know, I'm not going to sit here and give legal advice uh, for <laughs> obvious reasons. No. I'm not an attorney. Yeah. yeah. But the way I did it is I surrounded myself with people 
you know, my mentors, my, their friends now deep, you know, long lasting relationships. And when I came up on a real estate deal that I didn't know how to do, I reached out and they helped me through it. Yeah. Sometimes we partner with people, yeah. you know, that I get people all the time that they call me up and, and they heard me on a podcast mm-hmm. and they're like, Hey, I got this deal. Can, can you help me work through it? Well, I say yes to the degree that it's not going to be 10 hours of my time. You know, yeah. um, if your listeners had a real estate deal, creative deal, and they didn't know how to do it, could they email me and reach out? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if somebody wants 10, 15 minutes, no problem. Somebody wants yeah. 10, 15 hours. Yeah. That's yeah. now some, exactly. a partnership or, or something, right? There's, yeah. it's just the way the real world works. So that's what I did. Um, I educated myself. I'll give you a, a source, which is where the majority of my mentors information can be found on one website. There's a ton of content, a lot of um, coaching call type of stuff, archived sem- seminars. Um, and that's honestly some of the most brilliant people that I know in this entire country as far as the creative deal structuring space. Okay. And that website is cashflowdepot.com. Okay. So Cashflow Depot is not a free site. It's cheap. I don't know, 20 bucks a month. Okay. But in there, you're going to find people like Peter Fortunato, Dykes Bodiford, David Tilney, Bill Cook, um, Jack Miller, like all these guys who predominantly were in the southeast part of the country mm-hmm. and all came up together, kind of like the rat pack of uh, real estate. <laughs> and I just really latched on to that, that group of people. And I, I got to know all of them. And the ironic part is I'm in, in my, I will still call it mid forties. I turned 47 tomorrow, but Ooh, um, most of these guys are in their seventies. Yeah. And these are some of my best friends in the world, you know? And so that's, that's how I did it. And that's how I still do it. If I have a question, I, I reach out to them and, uh, now I see them all the time. We we do things together and host events together and stuff. But yeah. back then it, it wasn't that way. So yeah. So how do you approach? Uh, so that's one part of it. So having a, a team that uh, kind of knows uh, knows what uh, how to set these things up, how to uh, you know make sure that you're protected. Uh, obviously, having a real estate lawyer as part of your team would be kind of uh, important, also. Um, especially if you're doing it across multiple states, then you're probably going to have to have multiple lawyers that are going to be there at least on, yeah. on council to, uh, to help you out with some of these, uh, these documents, not necessarily on every single one of them, but at least have, uh, Initially. have a template and know that you're, you're protected when you're doing them. Yep. Um, so that's kind of like one part of it. The other part of it is really kind of like, how do you talk to the, uh, the people, the, the actual homeowner? And say, hey, you know, I want to do. I noticed that uh, your roof is uh, falling off. Um, you know, you don't have the money to do this. That's can I, you know, can you come up with a deal? How do you approach them? So there's two different approaches. Um, if I'm talking to somebody that came to me through marketing, um, so it's it's not a cold call. It's more of a warm, yeah, introduction. I have an elevator pitch or or a, a, a spiel that I say every time within the first two to three minutes of the conversation. So Eric, you call me up, you've got some form of distress or you just want to sell your house. I simply say, Eric, 
I buy houses in several different ways. All cash is going to be my lowest offer typically. If that doesn't work for you, we can buy houses by taking over your debt payments. If you don't have debt, we could make payments to you over time. In fact, in some cases, we just lease your property and we buy it later. That usually comes into play if we're working with a landlord who's trying to offset some capital gains. Mm -hmm. I just tell you all this so you understand I'm going to ask you a lot of questions that may not be normal. And I'm really doing it to see if I can come to a solution for you today. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Yeah. So and actually, that, that sounds last, very, it sounds very positive. Part, you're more like a problem solver at that point. And you have, you know, you're not cornering yourself into one particular way of, uh, of acquiring the property. And the last part of that spiel was I said, is, would that be okay? Or is that fair? You yeah. just gave me permission to ask you any question. Yeah. And if you did get upset further into that conversation, I can always go back and say, listen, Eric, I, I'm only asking you what your mortgage balance is because yeah. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to figure out a, a way to help you. Yeah. And it, it diffuses almost every situation. Yeah. And most of the time it doesn't escalate at all because you've set the, the present, you know, upfront. Yeah. And yeah. if you truly are trying to help people, they know it. If you're lying to them and you're trying to take advantage of them, they know it. Yeah. So I am coming across because I truly want to help them. Yeah. So, oh, that's so that's how I do it when it's warm. Um, if I was knocking on the door and it's cold and I'm just, you know, there's a tarped roof or overgrown grass or whatever the reason is yeah. that you're knocking on the door. Uh, my my good friend Bill Cook, who is actually the owner of Cashflow Depot, he built his entire portfolio door knocking. So anybody that wants to learn how to door knock, just jump on Cashflow Depot, look at Bill Cook's stuff, and uh, you'll be an expert door knocker in 45 minutes. <laughs> but here's the cliff notes. Yeah. You knock on the door, you back away from the door a long ways. I mean, yeah. you get 20 feet from that door. Yeah. Okay. What that does is people feel comfortable opening the door, yeah. stepping yeah. out of the door, yeah. and now you can start a conversation. Yeah. In that conversation, if it wasn't a tarped roof, even if it is, you could literally just say, my name is Derek. I love this neighborhood. I want to buy a house here. Do you know anybody that might be considering selling? Yeah. That's it. You're not even talking about their house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As far as they know. Yeah. Or you can simply say, my name is Derek. I love this neighborhood. I notice you have a tarp on your roof. I help people, you know, get their homes repaired if they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in talking? Yeah. Simple. And if they say, no, I'm good. My insurance company's taking care of it. They're just haven't got to it yet or whatever it is. Say, awesome. Great to meet you. Do you know anybody else in this neighborhood that I could help? Yeah. Ask for a referral. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's all you have to do. Yeah. It's less threatening also. You know, it's like, you know, what do you mean? You want to buy my house? No, I don't want to buy my house. But if you're, yeah, it opens the door. If they are interested in buying a house, then they can definitely let you know. So that's a very non-threatening way of uh, yep. getting to what you really want. And it's amazing, Eric. I, I've gone out door knocking with Bill and yeah. there's been 20 of us, literally 20 of us knocking on really? doors in a group. <laughs> and and we will, we will all get invited into the house. No way. Um, we've been invited in. We've had drinks i mean beer cocktails <laughs> i had i had a pet parrot on my shoulder one time 
Um, <laughs> Bill took us out that one day and my, my daughter was 11 or 12 years old at the time. Uh, my daughter was making written offers on houses when most adults are scared to death of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's uh -huh. people are in general, they're, they're kind, yeah. you know, it's really true mm -hmm. if you approach it right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so lots of options. I heard that also, uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, the um, you're also planning a book. I think a book is going to be uh, your collaborator on a book. And I think uh, it's going to come out in the next uh, couple of weeks. Of course, we're recording this in January. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be published. But, you know, so sometime in January, February, your book is going to be published with that you're collaborating on. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about uh, that book? I think the, the title, I think it's uh, Next Level Your Life. Um, you know, so um, tell us a little bit more about that book. Yeah, the, the book itself is being published by a guy named Kyle Wilson. And Kyle Wilson was the uh, business partner to um, Jim Rohn. And of course, Jim Rohn has passed away, but he was, Kyle was the man behind Jim Rohn, um, is the way I would explain it. Yeah. So Jim is, or I'm sorry, Kyle is really good at, at bringing excellent people together to collaborate on, on books. And yeah. so there's, there's about 30, 35 authors. Uh, we each wrote a chapter in the book. Yeah. We've got, um, we've got a, a Navy SEAL that's in the book. We've got the uh, CEO and, and chief editor of the LA Tribune is in the book. Uh, we've got uh, a couple other well-known real estate investors, just things. That, so it's, everybody's inspirational story um each chapter by chapter okay okay so i'd love to give that away um the the electronic version mm -hmm. to your audience yeah uh, by the time this does come out the book will be published it, it's being published and released january 24th mm -hmm. so it'll be available on amazon if you want the paper copy or or you can reach out to me direct and i'll i'll sign one and send you one but okay. um if you want just electronic version Simply shoot me an email, my first name, Derek, at bestreifunding.com, and uh, we'll uh, we'll send it to you. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you very much. Uh, what is, uh, are you uh, accessible on social media as well? Where can people uh, reach out to you besides the email? Yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook, my full name, Derek Dombeck. Um, I do have a, a TikTok account, but I don't put a lot of content out there. That's yeah. at this point we're we're working on that Instagram same thing I'm starting to work on increasing that I don't really have anything published but you know we need to all yeah. of us need to it's just <laughs> the way it is nowadays these are good platforms it's a, it's a good way to uh, to reach out to people so I highly recommend you spend a little bit of time on that TikTok Instagram um, lots of content there I mean it, it was a lot about uh, dancing cats before but uh, now there's a lot of uh, serious contents. <laughs> I get some of my best barbecue recipes off TikTok. I love oh, it. <laughs> well, I have to, I guess I'm following the wrong people. <laughs> I know what you're following, but we can't talk about that here. <laughs> Dancing cats. Yeah. Yeah. Something oh. like that. <laughs> well, Derek, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your, uh, your experience in here. And then especially on the, uh, you know, creative um, financing and acquisition uh, for for your next deal. Uh, thank you for opening your door also for people that want to reach out to you and then maybe spend a little bit of time and pick, pick your brain to help them out. So really appreciate that. And then we're going to look forward to your book uh, when it comes out. And um, 
hopefully people are going to reach out to you and get a free copy when uh, that gets published. Derek, so thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.